Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 16, Episode 45, for which I have to say I was expecting a slightly different uh, opening to the programme. Uh, we normally I mean, we get did, stars on... F- we did have a slightly different opening to the programme, but it wasn't the difference, <laughs> the difference that we were all expecting, it, was it? No. Well, OK, fine. Uh, that is Tim Grace, our executive producer. He's up in London. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features and uh, loads of guests. So we'll be talking... Loads of guests? Yes. We'll be talking... Container loads of guests. To No, the container's not arrived yet. Okay. Uh, more on that later. Uh, we will have Ben Constituous joining us to talk about the final round of the World Rally Championship, the Rally Monza, Excellent. this weekend. We also have uh, Nick Damon, who is joining us from Florida uh, to talk about this weekend's events there. We have Shay Adam, who's also joining us from Florida, but not to talk about things uh, there, uh, but to talk about things elsewhere. Uh, Earl Bamber will be joining us in the first hour oh, of the good. show, because he did something he wasn't expecting to do last weekend. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, and we have a champion. Our big interview is Pippo Durrani in the second hour of the programme in the normal big interview slot. Plus all the uh, news in English, maybe some news in Spanish, but we probably don't have time for that. Um, and some other things as well. Uh, Andrew Marriott still in the container, by the way, on his way to, uh, to Sebring. Uh, let's have a look at the parish notices. Cessoir. Uh, Hello to Stephen Lloyd. Uh, good to have his company tonight. Uh, he says, uh, keep forgetting the message. It's an age thing, but listening live as usual. Can't wait for RC Racing's take on the weekend and possibly a bit about safety car restarts, right turn lover. Can you imagine me coming up with a completely fresh and original reason for AFA? Not me either. Uh, so he's going to be catching up on the podcasts. Says what? Uh, the Colonel is EFAs tonight, catching up on the pub. Uh, pod. 101 win for Lewis. Honestly, could be the best practicing 25 cars of the weekend, despite Mac's best immature F3 tactics. Matt Endine, EFAs, he's saving the pod for the weekend. I'm tidying up the tie shed, smiling here for his second outright target rally the other weekend in the ZR. Well done. This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. Fantastic. Hello to 504, listening tonight to Kevin Payne. No airfares for him tonight. Uh, stewarding? What stewarding? 
Stewards didn't get involved. Kevin, that's half the problem. Jack Martin says, good morning. Speaking to you from tomorrow. Realising that tomorrow will be the first time seeing Motorsport Lives in 180 days. Wow. Sim Racing Bar Steward, listening tonight while breathing a contraption to expel the water from my base camp caravan. Using a hose and car tyre valve, Jubilee clips, an inner tube and air compressor. Excellent. That's what we're going to have. You had to use a mallet or a uh, smart front torch. That's that's the other thing. Just stop AFS the end of the tube to... and, use it and turn it into a vacuum. It's easy. Good point. AFA's from him tonight, James O'Donnell, are watching my wife playing a rearranged game of netball. Looking forward to catching up with the show tomorrow. How good was Petit Le Mans, by the way? It was good. Uh, it has, sorry, Chris, I just need to clarify here. Has the game of netball been rearranged or the date on which the game of netball was due to be played been rearranged? Because if you're rearranging the game, then that's a new rule set and players stand well, on one leg and... Well, it could. Well, no, it could be the Fabulous Five or whatever they call it, the Super Six. There is a new. There's a new short version of netball, which is actually really rather good. Uh, Blue Blurfiend, listening in, sorting out some concerns on a GT3 RS during the show today, uh, and enjoyed Johnny Morlam and his uh, contribution at the weekend. It was out of how home at Hound of Towers, and he's got very expensive tastes as well. Have you looped that? That's fantastic. David Two Bruce has been going for a minute already. It's brilliant. Checking in at MWM for the first time, listening for a good few weeks. Thanks for the cracking coverage over the weekend and for the collective. Collective was well on form at the weekend as well. Uh, hello to... Let me... Oh, scroll up. Come on. Come on, scroll up. Uh, Ted the Toyman, listening um, and still debating whether to go to the bend and watch the Jack Miller race in Aussie Superbikes. I stay at home and watch... Bathurst 1000 on the TV. It's not Bathurst 1000 this weekend, is it? Uh, yes. I think it is. I need to rearrange my weekend. Oh, then. Hang on, no. Uh, Maybe they're at Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend. That's where they normally go. Oh yes, of course they are. Um, they are. They're at the final round of the 12 at Sydney Motorsport. That's right. Doug Amner, no FA, slightly late for work, waiting with bit of breath for uh, RC Racing. Nick's views on the corner for shenanigans. Dave, we've mentioned Jesse. High noon in Los Angeles at the world famous Chilito Lindo in Oliveira Street. Uh, on a, Oliveira Street, sorry, for some taquitos for lunch. Uh, we had uh, a very nice carne con chile that Eve made up. Steve Marley listening in tonight. No affairs for afternoon meeting. We need to have a frank discussion about racecraft and not forcing the track off, forcing cars off the track in any discipline. Please impart your wisdom on this important tra- topic. You know my on uh, on that. Uh, Jean Chauvet, it's all right. We know the jingles by heart. We can sing them from ourselves for the start of the show. Ian McCarthy, can't listen tonight because unfortunately he's been bought out by Audi. But he'll see you all for breakfast. Very good. Um, mm. Uh, Carol Brink, did you turn the mirror ball in the studio for Specutainment? Yes, absolutely. Uh, fantastic stuff and Sarah Payne tuned in listening live looking forward to about, hear about Petit Le Mans congrats to Rots Gun Racing and Roman DeAngelis uh, for Heart of Racing winning GTD shuffle your papers settle in at uh, sorry I went all all Lancashire there didn't I um, shuffle your papers settle in and don't forget at Spec Your Team if you didn't like to get because uh, that's not very well, good well don't don't that, 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 that Zip it. Uh, shuffle your papers. Let's have the top story. 
All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And the top story here, clearly something obscure, some series that no one's ever heard of, or is it... Not it's a series different. that uh, you may not have heard of, um, so I need to introduce uh, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everyone. Yeehaw from the United States of America. Well, no, because you're in you're South in Florida. Central not Florida. Like you're in the, the highlands well, of Florida. Well, yeah, but I don't. What, 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 what do Floridians do? I don't know. Wrestle an alligator or something. Uh, there's an answer to, to what that is f- for where you are at the moment, but I can't see it on on, <laughs> on the radio. But uh, good afternoon to you. Yes, lovely sunny day, 78 degrees. We're going to talk about Pretty Formula One. Pretty much it's been here all day today. And our top story is... Did you hear that, Nick? I said Formula One. No, didn't. No, oh, I just no. You both talking over each other. I couldn't hear either of you. But you, did you say it was Formula One? Well, that can only mean one thing. Hooray! For four, oh, I'll, I'll be pushed off, pushed off the chair. I can't say hooray anymore. Hmm. Going to start, Nick, by asking you some questions. Um, these are just I'm yes not. or no answers, basically. So we'll rattle right. through them. Okay. Um, now, I've been to Brazil, but I've never been to Sao Paulo. But you obviously will have been to Sao Paulo many times. Yes. He went once with me. Lovely. Mm. Can you turn Nick up a little bit, John? Yes. See? Yes and no answers. This is what I like. Um, <laughs> are there establishments in Sao Paulo where it's acceptable um, to... Uh, stick your finger in someone else's flaps. Uh, I'm sure there are, but they're not not ones I've been to. But certainly, oh, I have a, I, really? Much, much much like John, I have a story I could tell right now, um, which I can't on the radio. But Park Ferme <laughs> at Interlagos is not somewhere where it's acceptable to stick your finger in someone else's flaps. No, no, no. absolutely. You must you must remove yourself from people's flaps entirely at the Park Ferme. Uh, and that's why um, I was going to say Jos Verstappen. Max Verstappen uh, was fined uh, $50,000 or euros? Yes, 50 euros. Euros is slightly more. Yes, he was. He was. He, 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 had, a, he had a little cheeky fondle, didn't he? he had a little bit of cheeky fondle underneath. Ooh, cupped it, cupped it, cupped the underneath, Did he, darling. Mm, Did nice. he? And, uh, yes, and he got fined for it. So he, he, but basically what he did was he walked out. He, he wanted to see how firm his one was. And then walked to Lewis's and saw how firm that one was and decided that Lewis's was a bit more floppy than his. But apparently that's an advantage in Formula One. Excellent. Having a floppy f- back flap. Yes. Well, it wasn't really the flap. It's the, apparently it's the underside of, I think, the main plane of the wing. that They're, they, they, they're, they're trying to say, Red Bull, that, that, that Mercedes do it. You know, obviously, you can't do flexi wings on the top of the wing anymore because there's little marks um, on the wing and a camera, so you can see the deflection. They're under the impression that Mercedes um, do something clever with the underside of the main plane, which is effectively soggy uh, and therefore can de- oh, delaminate, the wrong word, deflect, deform, and therefore shed both downforce and drag at certain speeds. I, you know, who knows? It's just the uh, the ever running saga of he said, she said, oh, you nasty thing, oh, no, it's not fair, oh, yeah, 
which has been going on all year because they're very, very close. So they're looking for every available opportunity. But Max was a naughty boy touching up Lewis's car. Who, uh, whose chances of winning the Formula One World Championship are over this year? Valtteri uh, Bottas. Valtteri Bottas. Mm. Well, according to Helmut Marco, uh, the answer is Red Bull. Oh, flipping heck sake. Well, yeah, according to Nostradamus, it was written in 1271 that sheep would become president. You know, it's about as relevant what Helmut Marco says. Mm. Yes. A uh, bit of Formula E news, and uh, the Dragon Penske team has signed Antonio Giovinazzi for 2022. I know, Antonio Giovinazzi, who's now got very bitter and twisted, hasn't he? It's not fair, and it's, oh, it's, it's all about money. I didn't get a chance. Oh, no, no. Because uh, he's been sacked. Um, immediately got another job in Formula E. So it's not the end of the world. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Go on. Um, he was at the end of his contract anyway, Nick, wasn't he? Yes, I think he was lucky to get three years. I don't think he showed anything in the first two years. Maybe he should have got a third one. I think he's possibly better this year than he had been any of the other two, but I don't see why he was no, renewed. No, 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 no. What's happened is that Raikkonen's dropped off. Not sure he'd uh, he shown anything in uh, Formula 2 that justified me getting a Formula 1 seat. Hmm. Well, he we had that Italian passport that's quite important for Alfa Man Ferrari. Yes. And who's replaced him then? One in Joe. Joe. The, the, the one-year cash cow. But they won't say that. But it Why might not be year? a year, might it? Well, they want Theo Pochere in the car. Hmm. Um, but Theo's a bit young, so they won't say... Well, it might be two. I well, Yeah, who knows? But, um, yeah, ideally a year. That was what the argument was about. So perhaps it has come down to two now. But he comes with, with, with a fantastic thing, not just driving skill and Chinese heritage, but a huge amount of money. Yay! But also China. So he, hasn't got a billion, yeah, he hasn't got a billionaire father. He's got a truly zillionaire country backing him instead. Uh, and what does that mean for Oscar Piastri? Um, he has to be test driver for Alpine, um, which is a difficult job because um, you've got Fernando in the car definitely next year, and they signed a three-year deal with Ocon earlier, so he's in for two more years. So basically, they're going to have to decide to replace Fernando Alonso, who wants to do it with Oscar Piastri, which is you know, quite a difficult decision. So he may be waiting a long time. Hmm. Uh, Audi isn't buying uh, McLaren. No, sorry, this Stop is it. not a new story. Nick told us this last week, and Autocar uh, didn't fair, the, believe it. The, the story that we ran last week was uh, that uh, Audi was looking at buying McLaren in the future. The point about it is, just, just to go back again, and this is the key thing to remember whenever you read any of those things, absolutely Audi could buy McLaren. However, it would cost them an unbelievably large amount of money. They've got a lot of money. They might want to spend it, but it's not going to be the 200 million or 280 million that Andretti thought he was getting sour before. No one's selling any. No one's selling any F1 team for less than half a billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of debt, so there is a possibility that Audi could just buy up the debt in a kind of a sneaky, you know, Wolf of Wall Street way. Hmm. Uh, we'll talk about the Sao Paulo Grand Prix a little bit later this hour when we do Nick Damon's team-by-team guide to the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Uh, and we now need to move on to something coming up this weekend. Uh, oh, 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 just before we move on, very quickly, 
the as I as I said it would the the British press have been all over this McLaren and Audi story, mostly I think because uh, quite a lot of them don't like McLaren, um, and it's it's been carnage, and for some reason now the British press uh, do like Aston Martin, so it's it's been interesting to follow. But but as, as Chris Harris said brilliantly, hmm, I think Autocar might be struggling for uh, McLaren press cars from now on because they jumped a bit early, which is unusual because yep. the guys at Autocar are normally pretty good. Different so somebody was McLaren telling McLaren the police. Well, well, yes, almost, almost certainly. Sorry, go on, carry on. Uh, where are we uh, going? This to? weekend we're going to Sebring for the twenty-four hours of Sebring. Well, we're not, but Nick, Nick is, and he's already, already there. there. He's already I there. Am. And and I am. Nick. I've been to the track today. I've had to come back to the hotel for better internet. But, oh, yes, it's there. It's very exciting. Cause it's You've my, never been. You've never few... been to Seabrook? No. No, one of the tracks on my bucket list finally gets knocked one off. Look, uh, and obviously, there are many, many laps in the, in the virtual world. And I can't wait, wait till Friday at uh, midday when the taxi laps start. Because my little Kia is going to be battling around the Stop. track on several Stop. Jetta. You told me Jetta. No. Well, they gave me that thing where you can choose. Ah. Um, and, and you uh, chose not to I have a VW Jetta. I think he's chosen well. This is this is this is live, by the way. I'm, I've got housekeeping knocking at the door. Um, <laughs> Turn down service. Just wave him away. So I, uh, no, uh, I know where he's standing. He's not going to the hotel for the better internet. Is a man wants to uh, turn down your bed. Um, Would he give you but, a little um, mint? Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's. it's <laughs> Oh dear. Um, however, Nick's however, going to be joined uh, later on in the week by Andrew Marriott, who's currently uh, uh, stuck on a container ship uh, because of Hurricane. Wa- yes. Sorry, Tropical Storm Wanda. Tell us about Tropical Storm Wanda, and, Nick. And, well, unfortunately, the the problem is that the containers containing the cars have yet to arrive at the track. They left Rotterdam ages ago, got hit by a heavy storm leaving Rotterdam and then hit by a storm in the Atlantic, which apparently is called Tropical Storm Ronda, which has delayed them for enough time, so they're not actually being unloaded from the ship uh, until tomorrow. So I, I was talking to the, um, the forwarding agents and they should have hit they should have hit landfall just after Halloween, so just at the beginning of November. Mm. So that's how long they've been delayed. I mean, as we all know, shipping's messed up anywhere at the moment. Um, so they're so... 17 days late? They are something, I think, 12 to 13 days late, yeah. Wow. Hence, so they are supposed to be, the, the ship is definitely docking tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They have said they're going to be first containers off. We expect the cars, sorry, not, sorry it's Friday. We expect the cars to arrive hang on, um, hang early on. afternoon on Friday. Yeah, mate, yeah, yeah. You're going to be first off. First off, you'll be first off. <laughs> well, How do they know where they are? <laughs> well, I see they're, they're at the top of the stack, aren't they? These container ships have got lots of stacks, haven't they? They track them with barcodes and RFID, John. It's like tyres on Formula, on sports cars and Formula One cars. They know so what, exactly what, where they are. What does this What does this mean for the schedule at the weekend? We're expecting it, unusually a Thursday, Friday, Saturday race, and we were going to be finished halfway through Saturday. I take it that's now not the case. Nick. No, it is going to be an intensive Saturday and Sunday. There is a tentative, tentative open practice on Friday evening, um, oh, which won't be covered because it's very tentative. So they'll get a chance to at least shake the cars down out of the containers. Then we have a the 
the one of the time tests I've seen has a, a, a free test um, and then free practice uh, and then qualifying about lunch to about two o'clock and then the race starting at five uh, and running for 24 hours from five on Saturday to five on Sunday. But there is another version if, if in case the containers arrive even later where they run midnight to midnight. Um, oh, so, really? And then they have another problem is they have to get these things back onto the containers so they can go somewhere else to get to Dubai. Ah, yes, good point, because that's not that far away. <laughs> so However, it is, I, I must admit, I was, I was chatting to the, the, the guys. They've done a sterling job in terrible conditions, but, you know, a lot of them are significantly more bald from tearing their hair out than they were when I last saw them two months ago. Um, it is just a, it is the definition of bad luck that this has happened, but they are doing what all good organisations doing and making the best of a bad situation. Uh, whatever happens, it will be live on RS1 and we'll have sound and vision as well. Nick and Andy Marriott, uh, at the track, are using uh, the standard pit lane, not the WAC yeah. pit lane. So anybody who has a problem will have to go back to the paddock, um, which is a very long way away. It's not just because there's no access to any garages from the pit lane there, which is interesting. No, no, I, was, I was chatting to um, a couple of marshals. I was having a walk up and down the uh, pit lane, and, said, and the, the, the lady marshal was going, I'm, why, why, is there, why is there a fuel tanker? A pit out. I said, "Oh, I can tell you why it's a fuel tanker at pit Excellent. out." Excellent. Um, because they, because the, because the fuel pumps are also on the containers, so there were no containers there. Just the the, the VP fuels um, ah. are, are supplying it here. It was just their tanker. VP racing fuels. Okay. Uh, more visit Cayman Island sports car news later on tonight, and there's quite a lot of it actually with some driver news coming through after Petit Le Mans this weekend. Don't forget, we will have a Petit Le Mans champion, but before we go any further and before we have our first guest, uh, Tim has some news of tomorrow evening. Uh, I thought we were going to do some Australian news here. but Oh yes, go on, yes, excellent, even better. Uh, Nick, John, what is worth $7 billion? Australian Tesla. dollars. Tesla, yes, Australian dollars, until, unfortunately. Until he tweets it, and it's worth about three pounds. Uh, Austra- uh, Australian dollars, so probably about uh, 13 Any European pounds. car that you have to buy over there. Yes, good point. Uh, I don't know. Is it, is it, is it how much all. it costs to go to quarantine in Australia? A house. Houses are really expensive in Australia. Mm-hmm. Apparently, well, it's the entire Australian motorsport industry. Really? It's a, that's a lot. That is a lot of money. And because no joking is no no mucking about aside. It's, it's only about two dollars a pound. So they're saying it's worth four billion pounds. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a big chunk of of GDP, isn't it? And the is that because they've counted the real estate for Albert Park, and it's right in the middle of a very expensive part of, of of Melbourne. The land's worth a fortune. Good point. The big uh, thing here is that. This is the first time they've counted this since 2014. And in 2014, it was worth less than half a billion dollars. So we've got growth of 2,000%. Can I ask you a question? Over seven years. Were the people who counted it from Silverstone Associates? No. Uh, no, they were <laughs> Karting Australia, Motorsport Australia, and the Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile. If that would be the FIA. I think that's really good. And, it and they ensures... didn't do it on their own. They had some professional counters in to help yes, them. Yes, they did. From Ernst and yeah. Young. <laughs> professional counters. They are counters. professional counters. I think Ernst and Young, on their website, it says professional counters. I think and they, if it doesn't, they should. World-leading well. counters, aren't they? They are very good counters. Um, 
Well, given that you've dug out some Australian news, I'm going to give you some Australian speculative calendar news. Ooh. Calendar speculation. Uh, uh, about calendar, speculati- calendar speculation. We have been talking about for quite some time. In fact, we had Krilty on a few weeks ago. Talking about the Lincoln Molly Bathurst 12 hours and how surely it can't possibly go on at the same weekend as Sebring, uh, FIAWEC and the Mobile One 12 hours. And apparently it's not going to. We were expecting to have heard by now, actually, about 25 minutes ago, that it was going to be moved. The announcement, we are told, will come sometime in the next 12 to 24 hours. And the date that we were talking about right at the very start, which is the last weekend of February, i.e. the weekend before the Repco V8 Supercars were meant to start at Newcastle, is going to be the date. So later than normal, but... At, uh, but still just about in February. That's right on the jagged edge, uh, ragged edge of the Europeans in particular, getting the cars out and back, or back in particular, for the start of the European season. Expect to hear that in the next 12 to 24 hours. Uh, Australian government uh, approval required for that. Bathurst Council have been talking about that date for quite some time. And... This is in response, of course, to Stefan Rattel <laughs> announcing a date out of the blue uh, at, uh, in Italy at, uh, at their race uh, a few weeks ago. So end of February uh, is what we're expecting to hear later on today. And whilst we're talking Aussie, we might as well talk about what's on tomorrow night at nine. Well, can I just say that if they do go with that end of February date, that gives those competitors who are racing both in the Bathurst 12 Hours and Stefan Rattel's GT World thing, uh, a full five and a half weeks to uh, transport their cars to wherever that starts. Yeah, the big problem is people who are doing Porsche Cup cars in that will only have a week to reprip the cars before they go to Newcastle because that's a support for Repco Supercars. Not done yet, but that's the word that we're hearing. Although by the time we get to tomorrow night at nine, I mean, I'm sure Krilty will be talking about it. Bathurst. You definitely do that in a week. Uh, Porsche Carrera Cup does make it onto tomorrow's show because the leader of this season's Porsche Carrera Cup Australia is Cameron Hill and he's going to be talking about the move to Super 2 plus the Red Bull Holden drivers uh, and were they right to battle as hard as they did uh, last weekend in the V8 Supercars race which was at Sydney Motorsport Park uniquely Uh, it cost them a win but was it good for the sport that's all on the grid tomorrow night at 9pm here on RS1 well, it was a very busy weekend with uh, all of the support and development series, uh, as well as the big race at Mortal Petit Le Mans. Lots of people doing lots of work. Some drivers doing double duty, but now I'm delighted to say we've got a driver who did far more driving than he was expecting to do. Well, certainly on the track at the weekend. Earl Bamba joins us now. Earl, welcome to... Midweek motorsport. So, uh, awful for Kevin that he couldn't drive and he wasn't feeling very well. You get the call on race day morning. Come on, give us the full story. When did you actually find out you were going to have to drive? Yeah, I mean, I mean first of all, it's good that uh, Kevin's feeling a lot better. And, um, you know, it was a shame that he couldn't do the race. But to be honest, um, I was actually just getting up. We were leaving at about like 8 o'clock the hotel and I was about to go to Starbucks on the way to the track and I actually didn't think that I should go to the warm-up because normally no one does anything in warm-up 
Um, and then I got a phone call to say that Kevin might not be able to drive because he's feeling very unwell. Um, so then I was driving straight to the racetrack. I think I got there by the time with all the traffic into the track at like 8.45 and then we were on in the car at uh, 9.15. So it was pretty quick fire. We had to like run to the truck, just grab one of the person's suits there, actually ended up grabbing Marcus Ericsson's and um, yeah, jump in the car. Luckily I had all my helmet and everything I've had there from testing. So that sort of was kind of easy, but it, it was it was crazy um, morning and then obviously into the race. Right. We'll talk about you testing the car later on, but um, Johnny Morlan was in the Haggerty Global Broadcast Centre with Jeremy and myself with, with Shane the pit lane, obviously, over, over the weekend. And we were talking about this during the race. And I asked him about the difference in mindset that you must have had to go through from, as I said, going in in your jeans and a team polo shirt to, you know, wave the flag, support the team, all that sort of stuff, getting ready for, for next year. And then all of a sudden, right, Earl, you're in. Get yourself in in, uh, in warm-up and, uh, and then you'll be doing a few stints in the race. Uh, how mentally did you get yourself prepared for that? Or was there just not time? <laughs> Um, I, I mean, yeah, fortunately I'd driven the car there and I'd driven at that track, which made it a lot easier. I can tell you warm up was a bit horrible because I was trying to get up to speed, but then it was so cold and you're sliding around. I was like, I can only lose everything, um, you know, because normally everyone's just shaking down the car, but um, got up to speed quite quick. And then in the race, it was, it was actually sort of like a dress rehearsal because obviously it was like driver changes, you know, trying to do all that sort of stuff. So we're, we're trying to more work on those details rather than, um, being super quick in the car before the race, like, you know, making sure we could do a driver change of time, all that sort of thing. And then um, once we got into the race, it was, I mean, it was so much fun. Um, you know, the start of racing and DPI is is really cool. Um, but obviously it's, to be honest, the same sort of thing. The biggest thing that was difficult the first stint or two was just to get used to the traffic and how to manage the traffic um, because you come up on some cars so, so quick. So that was probably the biggest thing um and i learned each stint that i drove i was getting better and better and better and learning and had a heap of fun passed quite a few cars um a couple of times so it was, it was you let the cool. race mate you were leading the race i didn't even know that i was leading the race mate no one even told me i was just <laughs> that's hilarious so um yeah i mean it was it, it was it was crazy but i mean the car was really quick the guys did a great job we had a, we had a good strategy as well and like I said, we could always sort of run in the, in the top three. It was a shame we sort of had a little bit of an issue later in the race because I think we could have definitely fought for the podium or um, possibly the win there. So um, I, I can't wait to get in there, in there next year. And I, I think it was a really good introduction to DPI racing. As much as I've driven in IMSA for so many years, it's still very different. So it was, it was a very good introduction. I was smiling and having a good time. I, I remember I did two stints and then they said, oh, do you think you could do a third? And I said, yeah, definitely. I could do a third. It would be no problem. So I actually spent a long, long time in the car as well in in one go so i can tell you i was a bit sore after that because the seat's a bit tight in that one for me so i just had to had to fire into it when was the last time you drove anything competitively earl take out testing that car and obviously as you said um that does make a difference testing that car on that track but testing and competing with 42 other cars on the track particularly given the conditions we had at the weekend very different so when was the last time you you were competitively behind the wheel of a car in a race? Uh, actually, only a few weeks because I was uh, driving in Thailand the week before and then obviously um, Barcelona. But 
The last time I'd competitively raced a prototype was 2017 at the last race in Bahrain. So what that, that's probably like four years ago, um, oh which goodness. is crazy to say. It makes me feel like I'm getting really old when I when I say it was four years ago. They were uh, racing the 919 and, and winning the world championship that weekend. But um, yeah, the last time I raced a prototype was, was that. But um, at the end of the day, like I said, they're racing cars. It's the same thing. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about LMDH drivers, what people are doing, you know, there's a, a huge amount of really experienced GT drivers. Mm. And I think it just shows that at the end of the day, it's got a steering wheel, it's got a throttle pedal, it's got a brake pedal. And it's all the same sort of stuff. Um, if you're quick in one, you can have some time and you can adapt and be quick in the other. So, um, you know, I think that sort of shows and shows that many people can also swap different between different disciplines, yeah. you know, you're not sort of a, a specialist, which I think is really cool for everyone because I think we're about to hit a real golden era of sports car racing as well, something that we, we haven't seen for many, many years. Uh, uh, there's quite a lot of GT drivers who are very happy to see how well you did and very happy to st- that, uh, with your comments on socials, saying, you know, GT drivers can drive anything. Um, since that last time you were in a prototype in the 919, obviously we've known you in the States particularly for driving... GT, GT Le Mans cars, um, nice little bookend as well, by the way, for Porsche, your old uh, employers to have have won the first GT Le Mans race in, in this current era and have, to have won the, the last one as well. Do, do you think that driving those GT cars, particularly in IMSA and around even around Road Atlanta, do you think that helps you when you get back into a prototype in dealing with traffic, Earl? Actually, definitely, because um, it was quite ironic. You would sort of know when to pass and when not to pass in certain areas because, you know, I've driven the GT car and I know when a prototype dives up the inside of us that actually they're holding us up when we go through those sorts of corners. So, and when you drive the prototype, you get the feeling for it. And actually, it's sometimes it's you're gaining time by following behind those cars and, and then you obviously take no risk. So I think definitely having the mix of the prototype and then also having been inside a GT car and you know what those guys are feeling um, and how they make their speed. And obviously, you've had a lot of interaction with a prototype around you definitely helps you about how you're going to um, you know do the lap speed. I, I was always mindful of going down and through turn 12 not to go in too late on anybody because I know as a GT driver, that's absolutely horrible when, when you get the nose, um, you know, stuck on the inside of you. But also at the end of the day, like there's a few critical places like going down through four AB, you know, once you get stuck behind a car, there's nothing you can do. You just have to accept that you're going to lose the time. Um, and as agonizing as it is, you can't change that. So you do have to sort of like keep a level head. But, you know, it was also kind of really interesting to, um, you know, drive for, for Chip Ganassi Racing team that we fought very hard for many years nice. with uh, Porsche and then for, and then Ford uh, at the time. And now to be on the other side and see how they do things was also uh, really interesting. And for me, in sports car racing, a real honour to you know drive the O one um, because it's a famous car and it's a famous team in sports car racing, one of the most successful in America as well. So that was uh, you know really crazy, and also just to join Scott Dixon, you know, someone that I looked up to for so many years as a young kid, you know, driving for Chip Ganassi Racing and now finally there, joining him in the car was also a bit of a surreal thing. Yeah, that must be magnificent, your countryman, um, with so much experience 
behind him. There'll be somebody somewhere in, in New Zealand now who's, who's looking at you in exactly the same way. I'll have no fears about that. Excellent opportunities, you said, to get into get into the groove, to get into the competitive groove, because you can test as much as you like, but a race is, and a race situation is different. So in some ways, and, you know, I'm delighted to hear that Kevin's feeling better, but in some ways, uh, it's, it's a really nice uh, little uh, little change-up for you before, and it's not that long away, is it? Before we go at the Raw, I know you've got some more testing to do. Before we go at the Raw that has a competitive element, and then the week after that, you're talking under 70 days, around about 70 days, before... You're back in that car for keeps and for the full season. Um, you, Alex Lynn and Sebastian Bordier joining uh, Renga van der Zander in the team. Those are the substantive drivers. Uh, we spoke to Alex Lynn on last week's show. He's looking looking forward to it. Uh, obviously, you are you are as well. Any any news about how how the teams are going to be formed and who's driving with whom? No, not yet. You have to still wait a bit longer for that. Um, but um, actually, yeah, the, the season's coming around really, really fast. I mean, it's a lot faster than what you expect. And I think in sports car racing, we never have an off-season anymore um, with how late the seasons run. So um, I'm actually at the shop right now, you know, getting everything prepared um, for the upcoming test and sort of the season because, you know, sort of now is the last time before, you know, we've got Thanksgiving over here, then we've got Christmas coming up, and then all of a sudden the raw hits you and it's there and you're in the middle of the race. So... Um, you know, it's very exciting to already get ready for, for 2022. And I think it's going to be, a, a, you know, a really good season. Um, and then obviously all the stuff's happening in 23 as well. But for, for me, going to Daytona for the first chance to, to go for an overall is, is really something special. Daytona's always eluded me. I've always been on the podium there, but never actually won, especially in GT. So um, really looking forward to go there with the chance of now fighting overall as well. It's going to be... Um, you know, really great. Uh, not that many cars, but I think there's uh, going to be a real quality field there. Remarkably, Earl, and you'll understand why I've said remarkably, I still get people saying to me that um, that without LMP1, true LMP1, they can't get into IMSA racing, and they kind of dismiss DPI as something that isn't isn't a proper race car. You're unique, not uniquely, but you're perfectly placed to be able to tell me how good, how quick, and how challenging the DPR cars are to drive. Because when I look at the times, um, they're not that far off what we were getting in the you know thousand horsepower big Peugeot diesels, Audi diesels, bags of downforce, huge tyre era. And these cars are uh, certainly more efficient than that. There's certainly a hell of a lot less to run financially than that. Uh, how are they to drive and, and what differences are there in the driving style? I mean, in the end, they're awesome to drive. Um, they've got good power. They've got quite good downfalls. And you've got to remember that they they derive from an LMP2 chassis. It is an LMP2 chassis with a different manufacturer's engine in it. So it's a lot more basic, um, you know, in terms of systems and the amount of people that you need to run it. But I think that's what the sport needs. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated to have great racing. If you have a look at the battles that you had all throughout the race, um, one really positive point is that there's good aero, but it's not crazy. We can follow, we can make picks through traffic, which makes the racing brilliant. And I can tell you, Road, road Atlanta is really fast in one of those cars. Like you drive your first laps there and you're like, this is really fast. And then you come back into the race and you do your first laps of the race weekend and you think to yourself again, this is really, really quick, this car. 
around there because also the style of the American tracks with, you know, the typical track grass wall. I mean, it definitely gets your attention um, at a really big level and the way that it generates its speed, I would say it feels as a driver faster than what the old LMP1 cars were really? because in LMP1, we would boost like crazy off the corners and then for the entire straight, we would sail down and that sensation of a driver, even though we were doing 300 at the end of the straight, it felt incredibly slow because we've been decelerating the entire time. Rather, these cars are still flat out accelerating. Wow. So this sensation of speed as a driver is really thrilling. Then you've got 43 cars to contend with as well. Um, I can tell you, you never, ever have a break. And your heart rate is really elevated just because of so much is going on and you've got so much to process. Um, you know, And I think, again, there's not crazy amounts of downforce so we can follow each other we can pass and there's great strategy and everything and that's what makes the racing really really good and interesting like you can't be sure who's going to win the race um until the last lap and we saw that with like 31 and the 10 um it's just great motorsport at the end of the day and i can tell from the way that you attacked it at the weekend and how you talk to me now well i've known you long enough you're really looking forward to this, aren't you? This is this is a new challenge, a new chapter for you, and you're clearly really looking forward to it. Not just because it's another job, you're looking forward to it because it is something different. Yeah, no, it is something different, and obviously, it's been a goal to be able to go back to, let's say, fighting for overall wins. Um, you know, we managed to Lawrence and myself had great success in GTLM, won the championship. Um, he got another championship last week, which is which is really awesome. But, you know, I think it was also, like, for me personally, something, time to do something a little bit different, um, you know, with the same manufacturer for nearly seven years, um, if I count that correctly. So um, it's really interesting to do something fresh, something, you know, to see how people do it from the other side. And, um, you know, it's really great to join Chip Ganassi Racing. There are a bunch of racers that want to go out and win races. So... Um, that's also what I enjoy doing. So I'm looking forward to the challenge. I think also it's good to be able to, you know, do DPI this year um, with obviously their goals in the future because, um, you know, it's really, really good preparation. Obviously Penske is, is going to go and do LMP2 as well. So, you know, I think there's, you know, everything's starting to ramp up with everyone right now. And I think, like I said, it's really exciting time of sports car racing. Presuming we can get the date sorted out, would you be available to go back to Bathurst in the Liquid Molly 12 hours? A hundred percent. Definitely. Um, I would love, I would love to go back and do that. And, and there's another race that I haven't won overall, which is Nürburgring. So I definitely want to try and compete at that as well still, um, because that's another one to tick off the bucket list. So, um, but yeah, definitely it's obviously a bit easier for me to do Bathurst these days with the team and the career cup team down in Australia. Um, so we've actually got a base down there. Um, that's another sort of, project where it's really exciting with the scholarship that we do with um, Porsche New Zealand, um, helping out young guys uh, down there first year. We've already won some races and, um, you know, Matthew Payne, who from a sports car world, you probably wouldn't know the name, but um, I think he's got a big future in uh, motorsports to hear his name coming up. But it's really nice to be able to help out the young guys and, you know, sort of give them a place to go as a young driver and a place to, you know, a goal um, and a seat that they know they can go um, that's funded and stuff like that. So that's also been uh, something really fun to do. Well, thanks for joining us, Earl. Uh, whatever off time you can get, whatever downtime you can get, make the most of it because we know it's going to be a, a busy season. And whoever else comes to join you for with 
uh, Alex, you, Seb, Seabass, uh, Sebastian Bordier and Renger van der Zander. There's going to be a lot of laughs uh, as well as a lot of seriousness there. I think you'll have a good time next year. And will you do me a favour and pass on our best to Chip and the rest of the team? Thanks for your time. I will do. You'll be happy to know that I'm going to race on Christmas Day. So just so you can be aware that I'm going to take a nice... Yes, I'm going to race on Christmas Day in Thailand Super Series this year. I, I will make sure I go and seek that out. What else are you going to do? It's a day off for everybody. You might as well go and race. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what else is there to do on Christmas better than driving race cars? I mean... Um, Best present you could get. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that should be the off time. I hopefully get one or two weeks off and then um, obviously into the season. But thank you for having me and, um, yeah, looking forward to the season. Hopefully we see you back at the track, mate, soon. We're, with a bit of luck and a fair wind. Uh, smashing job at the weekend, Earl. Great to hear your voice again, mate. And uh, have a good one. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks, mate. Earl Bamba, jumping in his super sub at the weekend. Good to hear Kevin Magnuson is feeling better. Tim Gray, where would you like to take us next? I'd like to go racing on Christmas Day. Actually, I'm not sure I do. I want to eat and drink and be merry on Christmas Day. How much more merry could you be than going racing? I can be very merry if you give me a bottle of the right (laughs) liquids. Have you tried tried our homemade vodka yet? Uh, I've had a little, yes. And? I don't want more than a little of that at a time. That's good, isn't it? Very, very strong. <laughs> yes, Might good. be consuming Excellent. some more of that on Monday. It's very good at Bloody Mary's with the uh, with the, the, the hotness in it. Uh, Nick Damon's still with us, uh, live from CP. Hello. Hello. Yes, I am. No, the housekeeping have gone away, so that's no clean towels for me. Uh. <laughs> Is that a problem? Not really. <laughs> Shall we move it's on? It's time for Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, and we're going to start with Aston Martin, Nick. Yes, the pride of Britain, uh, or not. Uh, Lance Stroll dead last, not his fault this time. He got um, rather heavily uh, thumped by Yuki Tsunoda going into Turn 1. Um, Sebastian Vettel was 11th, missed out on points, sort of shuffled out during the commercial safety car uh, and everything else. To be honest, um, Aston Martin kind of drifted to the back end of the season. They're stuck in seventh place overall. They're not going to be eighth. They're not going to be sixth or fifth. Um, and they you know, wrote off the season long before everyone else, just hoping for a, some sort of blind luck at some point, throwing themselves in the points. And it's not really happening at the moment. So uh, they've got three more races to just get through the rest of the, uh, the season. Uh, McLaren next. Yeah, McLaren, yeah, interesting. Danny Rick was doing was running pretty well. I think he was up in ninth or eighth, but was 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 on you know, on strategy, probably gonna pick up seventh or something. Uh and then uh he pulled in with what was safe as a power unit problem, which actually turned out to be a crack chassis and that had kind of or a crack element on the chassis which had interfered with the power units. It's quite interesting that we're seeing um a lot of fatigue and we obviously will come to a lot more about fatigue and breakages at the, the sharp end of the grid. Um and, of course, the reason for that is that, that these these cars, the chassis and the bits, are pretty much unchanged for the last two years. They're getting towards the end of their life. They're always in the same chassis as last year. So they're very old. Um, and, of course, they don't want to build any new parts because that comes out of the, the cost cap, which they want to save as much money for to develop as next year's cars. So, effectively, we're starting to see a number of 41 cars wandering around on parts that are right at the end of their life. And when they're right at the end of their life, they sometimes break, and that's what's happened to Danny Rick. This isn't the McLaren thing. This is all the teams we've seen with, with various components just not 
holding together as they get towards the end of when they've been used a lot and vibrated a bit. Uh, Lando Norris was 10th. Um, his race effectively ended about 120 metres after the start when he just came in a little bit too early after getting around the outside of the slow starting Carlos Sainz and he just clipped his rear tyre on the front wing of Sainz. No one's fault, just a bit of misjudgment. And that took the tyre clean off the ring as can, rim as can happen and therefore he had to go to the pits and was out of seat. He got a bit gobsy. Obviously got lucky with a full safety car but couldn't get back through the grid because not everyone can go back through the grid that easily. Haas. Uh, Nikita Mazepan was upset with his qualifying and so apparently he was close to tears. I'm not sure I want to see that. Uh, Mick Schumacher got involved in a kind of a awkward incident uh, half of the race got sandwiched and his wing got it wasn't half, but it's in the first third of the race, wasn't it? and his wing got fell off on the side of one of the Alfa Romeos uh, so Nikita Mazepin we have got to get it's a year now Nikita Mazepin uh, actually beat Mick Schumacher in the race fair and square which I think is probably the first time he's done that for some time but they're still just desperate for the end of the season and a new car which I think will be equally as bad but I could be wrong We'll see in February. Uh, Nicholas Efe uh, next. So that's uh, Williams. Yes, Williams. Um, Nicholas Efe achieved something he's not achieved in his previous uh, 35 races at Williams, the entire two. He actually out-qualified George Russell in an actual qualifying session, not by using the sprint race, uh, even though there was a sprint race. Um, so he, it's not he a sprint race. A decent it's weekend. just the sprint, and it's a qualifying I'm session. The sprint race. I, I just don't... I, I, you know, I'll say, I'll, say, I'll say what I see in the words, words of catchphrase uh, but in the race it didn't quite work they, they tried a bit of strategy on Nick's car um, put him early during the virtual safety car just put him out of position he couldn't get back up again George Russell continues his general kind of malaise or tail off this end of the season the car seems to have gone off the boil completely he's not really doing anything bad or good and he's just waiting to get into the Mercedes in a couple of months time came 13th Alpha Tavi. Um, yeah, well, as always, you see, Alpha Tauri are locked in a desperate battle with um, Alpine for that all-important fifth overall in the Constructors' Championships. Because that's one of the big things you fight for in your career, isn't it? Fifth overall in the Constructors' Championships team. Well, what more than fifth? But they're absolutely tied on points. The, the difference is Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso are both scoring points for Alpine, but only Pierre Gasly is scoring points for Alpha Tauri. And he backed up, I think, his fourth, wasn't it, last week with a seventh here, uh, battling through said two Alpines um, because they were on a single stop and he was on a t- second stop. He managed to get both, past both, and they accused him of playing silly bees, but of course, as he went past, but they have every right to try and drag each other along and and uh, fairly dissuade the Alpha Tower from going past. But in the end, picked up seventh. Uh, Sonoda, you know, this is a problem with Sonoda. He's quick, but had another brain fed moment. Got too over enthusiastic trying to get the inside of uh, Lance Stroll in turn one. Had a massive accident, um, which left the shards of carbon fiber all around the track, which caused a safety car in the first few laps, and then got a 10 second penalty. So it was a, so that accident was was in the uh, stewards' opinion as serious as the Verstappen and uh, Hamilton incident at uh, Silverstone. Not going to make any comment on that. I'm just saying that's what the stewards thought as far as the penalties were concerned. Um, and he was very upset about it, and I can't think why, because it's rubbish driving. And Sonoda is really, really going to have to get some sort of massive head reset next year, because he is a little bit embarrassing at the moment. Uh, Alfa Romeo. Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, yeah, last, I was surprised at getting sacked. Uh, had another nondescript race. Kenny Raikkonen was under... Well, the, the, the problem for both the Alfa Romeo is they came together in the sprint. Um, and they uh, Raikkonen ended up dead last and make a pit lane start with a 
car he tweaked for um, speed and uh, Giovinazzi well, didn't we? So both of them really, Alfa Romeo probably miss out on the chance of coming 11th because they came 12th, but they also are, are another team just drifting with nothing much to fight for. Alpine. Um, two points, both cars in the points, eighth and ninth. Um, mainly on the back of being the team that went for the one, the one stop strategy, but they also had the advantage of a couple of cars end up out of position. Um, they are, I say, absolutely tied on points with uh, Alpha Tauri fifth, and, and and it's more symbolic for Alpine because fifth would mean they was treading water. They dropped to sixth, and is a game backwards, uh, which is not a good look for a major manufacturer team. Um, it's not a lot to say. They, they, it's competent. The car wasn't really working, and and, and I don't think Alonso is as fired up as he was earlier in the season. So Ocon got past him, but yeah, they, they also are, are looking very very tired about the whole concept of 2021 F1. I mean, I'd imagine for Fernando Alonso, it's strange sitting in uh, a car rather than on a deck chair at this race. Well, that's exactly. He was. He didn't know what to do. He got around the corner. And went, well, hang on, should we stop there at the side? But yeah, I mean, at least the car works most of the time, which is a massive improvement. In the last three years, he was in there for one. Let's move on to Ferrari. Yeah, I think Ferrari are the one team who aren't. Of most of the teams, most of the teams are counting their way down to the end of the season and, and, and thinking, Whoa. whereas Ferrari really are you know, on a, a positive roll since the engine upgrades, um, which didn't do an awful lot for overall power, but did a lot for drivability and sustainability of the power. That means sustainability in an eco- ecological way. I mean, actually, how well it delivers the power over a sustained period of time. Um, they've really jumped up to the head of the, the best of the rest pack. Um, still quite a bit the gap between the top two teams and Ferrari is, is bigger than it was earlier in the season but Ferrari themselves have managed to this development move forward and they seem to be quite positive noises coming out of Marino now about how things are going for next year they're obviously very happy with the power unit and they've got uh, you know drivers are working well Charles Leclerc fifth Carlos Sainz sixth after a difficult start for Sainz uh, Sainz was the star of um, the sprint. No, the, sorry, I saw the wrong turn there. The sprint. Uh, getting up to third place and effectively holding everyone else up, which meant good news for Lewis's comeback at the time. It was in a, They were all held back. Bad news is a DRS train. But uh, in the race themselves, they both kind of, you know, they ended up being best part of, you know, 10, 15 seconds behind Perez after he'd made an extra stop for the tyres to get the fastest lap. And, but, Science was about 15 seconds ahead of, uh, actually more about 20 seconds ahead of Alpha, the Avatar Pierre Gasly. In fact, it was the last man not lapped. So, you know, it's it's it's, it's a positive upswing. It's been you know, from the Nadir as beginning of 2020 after they've been cheating in 2019. Uh, they are now back on the upswing. I think very much looking to to yeah, hopefully in their case, I think bridge the gap at least close to the top two teams for 2022. But they do seem to be the only team that's actually working on this year's car rather than next year's car. Well, I think they're working on a number of things. Which, which there are some things that transfer across, and the main one being obviously the drivetrain and, and and some other things. They are still really, yeah. I think they're, they're trying to. I think also they they realise the benefit of the team morale having a positive end of the season. You know, they've they've been in the doldrums a couple of years. They can show this upward swing. You know, could could really fire up the team moving forward. Red Bull. Yes. Well, it's hard to talk about one without the other, isn't it? Um, Sergio Perez got fastest lap. There we go. That's got him out of the way. Um, Verstappen, uh, I think, yeah, we, we were coming to the event. I think Red Bull and uh, Verstappen all thought that it was probably going to be a slightly Red Bully track. Yeah, it has been historically. It's got a bit of altitude. It's got a lot of time to be made on the 
uh, the infield and you know the last couple of times even when the Red Bull was a much less competitive car than the Mercedes overall they've been there or thereabouts in Brazil so it must be a bit of a rude awakening for Verstappen to find out he was so far off Lewis Hamilton qualifying and then obviously he decided to touch up the rear we've already talked about and got himself a fine and then of course he found that Lewis was at the back of the grid and thought this is great I'm now on you know I'm now on pole Lewis is at the back and this is a this is a chance we'd make more points never um, in the sprint, he lost the start of the lead to Valtteri Bottas and more better start, but also softer tyres for Bottas. Um, but interestingly, he showed the first sign of maturity I've seen. Um, that's, that's not fair. First sign of having a championship maturity in that he decided not to bother chasing um, Valtteri all the way to the end and settled for the two points for second place for the sprint rather than risking or perhaps going for three. So that was a you know tactically good move. Uh, then he uh, was well, probably been dismayed to see Lewis get to fifth and then please see him drop back to tenth again. And off he went the race. And because at that point they knew they were vulnerable to the speed of the Mercedes. Uh, he got the start. He pushed Valtteri off the track and everyone says that's fine. So that's fine. Uh, and then he, you know, he, Drove relatively well. I think you know, the, 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 the swings and roundabouts of the uh, safety cars and virtual safety cars probably just a little bit played with Lewis's hands. But, so Lewis on his tail. Max was worried after Lewis stopped first in the first um, tyre change and so he wanted to stop early in the second to not make sure he wasn't undercut away. And he did that. Uh, and that put him slightly vulnerable because it was a, a long run on the tyres. So we only had the instant where, you know, I can't remember it was about 50, whatever it was, but the 48, when yeah, Lewis got the run, finally got within the DRS zone, has a huge speed advantage, gets right close to him coming into turn one, and then goes down him out on the run in turn four. At that point, um, Max Verstappen decides to go around the corner in a very wider way than before, and therefore both of them go off the track. So, something's happened. Um, certainly from the angles that you see, it looks like, you know, there's either been no effort to take the corner, or there's been, uh, you know, perhaps the opening of the steering wheel because come, it comes to the fact again is that they didn't have an accident for two reasons they didn't have an accident because it was a, a run time at runoff and lewis avoided it if we look at the story of this season they have had two accidents this year and both of them have been where lewis hasn't backed out they have not had about 10 accidents this season and every reason they didn't have an accident is because Lewis backed out and let Max go through. At no point has Max ever backed out and ever sat there and thought, no, I'm, he has bullied, well, barged his way through. And part of this is because no one's told him not to. Now, when you see someone running someone off a track, you kind of think in the current world, let's go right back to as recently as one of the Austrian Grand Prix, I don't know which way it was, uh, when Perez did half the thing like that to Norris they got a five second penalty by just moving him out the outside of the track all those things that happened that I was in Austria around turn two yes I know sorry turn five yes I know there are there's, there's gravel there rather than time but that isn't mm. the point you've run the guy off the track and the ridiculous thing was that there was no investigation it's not that I think you know oh right that's it why is that done. Nick well, per- that's the point oh. we had a I had a big go at the uh, FIAWEC last week. Everybody thinks I'm anti-Formula 1. I'm not. I'm anti-process. When process doesn't get followed, things go wrong. And there were, there was a lack of process at Bahrain. There's either a lack of process here or it, or something else has gone wrong. And I'll, I'll say now, I'm I'm not a fan particularly of Lewis or of, of Max. 
Um, that's not that's not how I see things. But the stewards weren't asked to view any. The stewards in uh, Brazil weren't asked to view any evidence. It never got the stewards because Michael Massey couldn't be bothered to make this decision or didn't think there was a decision needed to be made. It's another nail in the coffin of Michael Massey and he in his tender as as race director. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the good indication of. Um, the guilt or not guilt of Max Verstappen um, is normally what the, the um, what the rest of the team say. Um, given the fact that when he took out, um, and he, I can say that because that's what the stewards agree, took out Lewis in uh, Monza, they were quick to say, oh, yeah, it was a racing incident. Yeah, yeah, that was what it was. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't try and blame Lewis. And again, we had old uh, Jonathan Wheatley going, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's the very definition of letting them race. It's not. It's the very definition of your driver pushing the other driver off the track and Correct. the other driver being clever enough to avoid the incident. And and this is this is the thing. You sit there and you go, I, I, yeah. Have get... you seen, Nick, seriously, have you seen one pro driver who hasn't seen it as somebody getting pushed off the track? And some of them yeah, have been and... quite vocal. <laughs> some people who I really, really uh, have a lot of time for saying, guys, if you're watching this as a young driver, this is not how you race. This is it's not what not. you do. Verstappen got dangerous. booed because the Brazilian crowd, particularly in the cheap seats, it's a turn number four. They know they're racing and they didn't like dirty driving. Now, actually, interestingly, if we had seen the onboard, and I've now seen the onboard, that, that um, he didn't open his hands. He went in too fast and he didn't try to turn too early, but then he did turn the wheel. That onboard wasn't as damning as everybody thought it was going to be. But the stewards never got to see that because Michael Massey decided it, it wasn't worth looking at. No, and that's the, that is the crux. The crux is it wasn't investigated. It's not that he didn't get a penalty. It's not Correct. Did, I mean, Lewis got, obviously, by overtaking him a few laps later, got everyone off the hook. But the fact is that the not being investigated is the key point. Now, personally, I, ha- I, I, would, I disagree with your interpretation of the video because I've seen the video comparing two laps. And what ah. Max actually did was not turn the steering wheel as much. Yes. So if you think you have and to And he also lifted his foot off the brake the corner, as well. He was... Yes, yes, that yeah. is the um, other I thing. Mean, you know, he, he, as someone said, let's give Max praise where praise is due. That's a very clever way of taking uh, someone magnificent. off the circuit. It was magnificent. I can get but to the apex of did. any corner ahead of anybody else if I simply don't break hard enough. And exactly. there's plenty of room. And of course, you know, and then this is this is the problem. And yeah, you sit there going, well, yeah, you know, the, at the end of the day, people, are, you know, the youngsters are seeing it. There's every chance he'll be world champion, whatever Helmut Marco says. And then we think, well, the, the ends justify the means, but does it? You know, this is this is the thing. The, you sit there and, and you have to say that Max Verstappen has driven an absolutely brilliant season mm. when he's been on his own. He's, I can't think of a mistake he's made on his own this season, or actually anywhere apart from when he's been near Lewis. But he's made several errors near Lewis, which Lewis has actually got him out of by not forcing the issue. Monza. You know, there's, there's uh, sorry, Imola. Monza, Imola, Monza um, Spain, um, the first race in Silverstone. You know, it, it's always been, because he knows that Lewis is, is, has a championship mind. He's pushed his way through now. You know, well done, everything else. But you, know, you sit there going, yeah, I'm not really sure that's how it should be done. I know all these Senna lovers say that's how it should be done, but I've always been more of a Prost man myself, and I like the thinking people. But anyway, so personally, Max, I personally believe he should have been penalised. I'm not particularly bothered about a post-race penalty. I don't think it makes a blind bit of difference. What I would no. like him to get is a post 
post-race chat to. That's what I want. I want someone to sit down, because obviously Horner's never going to do it. I want someone from the FIA to sit down and say, I'm sorry, in the next three races, anything like that is not acceptable. And if you do it, we will park you, because then he won't do it. And that's what they should, they should be here. That's because it's not. This is a massive repeat offence by him. Nobody was so, talking about him weaving down the straights and getting warned for that we, either. We, by the we way, we got left off that that, that. that that got lost in the story of his, of his other things he's doing. He shouldn't be doing. This is the point. He's he's, he's reacting ridiculously. Yeah, I, we, we all know why he's doing it. And yeah, two yeah, reasons: yeah, one, because he's defending his championship, and two, because he's getting away with it. But someone needs to sit him down from the FI and say, "If you do it, we will park you. Not we'll give you a five-second penalty. We will park you." And then he won't do it because let, the thing about Verstappen is he's good enough not to have to do it. He's brilliant. He doesn't need to do this. Mm. This is the point. I should tell you how he doesn't need to do this. He doesn't do it in sim racing. That's a very good point. Mm. Mm. Um, Mercedes, Nick. <laughs> well, yes, Lewis Hamilton. Someone, someone actually did send me a, a tweet earlier saying that I should, I should make the point that Lewis was only got 24 point positions, not 25. And that's absolutely true, actually, because he went from 1st to 20th, which is 19 places at the start. Um, well, if you're Dutch, it was just the car. And if you're British, he's the greatest driver ever. And if you're neutral, the truth is in the middle of the two of them. Um, what Lewis did was take a car advantage and maximise it against incredible odds. I can quite understand why Mercedes was so absolutely ch- chuffed off with the whole thing. The thing is... Why were the st- they... right, we're well over the, the, the time, but it doesn't matter now. right? We're, we're people's waiting, but that's alright. Don't worry. So, so why were they chuffed off? They were chuffed off because it was 0.02 of a millimetre on, yeah. on what even the FIA decided was potentially something that was damaged. Whereas Red Bull have been allowed to change their rear wing on the last three Grand Prix for damage. Yeah, and as I was saying, because they haven't used these parts much longer than they should be, Mm. because they're all desperately eking them out for a second year and they don't want to spend anything because of the cost cap, which is why the cost cap shouldn't be in. But never mind, that's me, old-fashioned, dollar spending Damon. But anyway, the point about this is, is that other teams have been given... A uh, Barry, that's a bit out, mate. You know, it's not a problem, but you need to sort it. And that's really for 0.2 of a millimetre of half a bit of a slot gap. It's not point not to. But it's, you sit there going, but they didn't. And once it goes to the steward, at this point, that's the scrutineers. The stewards, it's black and white. Yeah. Once that gets to the stewards, then you have to be. Um, you're out. You have a non-conformist car in qualifying. That's it. You're out. I mean, and I have no issue with the stewards doing that. I don't think it should have got to the stewards because we need to start again. Common sense not being applied. And also, as Toto pointed out, the wings are being cracked on the uh, Red Bull for three races in a row now because they're suffering from fatigue. They've been allowed to patch them up. Well, yeah, the other option is replacing them, and then they might have to take a grid penalty. So you can't. It's one rule for one rule for the rest. But you know, that's that's that and the other. Uh, then of course they didn't um, penalise. Um, Max, which also annoys me more, the engine penalty was the engine penalty. But the engine penalty, of course, was also the, the reason that, that, that Mercedes were able to win this race because due to the, the degrading effect of the engine, also the reliability issue they've had, they've been having to run the engine. This is one of the reasons why suddenly... It's interesting that Honda and Ferrari have suddenly got really, really close to Mercedes from being a long way back. And there's two, there are two reasons for that. One, because they have done development, Honda especially. Their reliability is fantastic, seeing how often they used to break down. You know, we talked about Alonso's deck chair. But 
it now seems a point where Mercedes may think they've actually managed to solve some of their issues or at least understand the operating conditions that are causing these problems. And now they're not only they are now able to run the engines in higher modes generally. So they've got more power. Ah, generally. Yes. So we're not talking about having a hooky engine, but what we're talking about is you can't play with the engine modes anymore. You're locked in. Um, after uh, before qualifying, aren't you? You're locked yes. in. As, so as you run trundle out in qualifying, that's it. So what you're saying is, because you're changing the engines more often, you can turn them up one or two clicks more, as Mercedes used to do at will during the race before. That's been taken away from them. So now they're just saying, ah, we'll just change the engine because we don't need to put the miles on them. So they're using the engine swaps. This is not about reliability. So actually, law of unintended consequences. This is not about reliability. This is, we'll take the five grid place penalty and we'll turn it up because we know we've got so much more power um, as we used to have before. It kind of is about well, reliability, the though, John, isn't it? The last eight races. And, sorry, Tim? I said it kind of is about reliability because the engine is designed to do a certain number of rotations. Yeah, and if the they're it, running it, at 18,000 RPM then it will last a certain number of races. And if it's yes. running at 21,000 RPM, it'll last fewer races. That's a fair point. That's, that's your Bradley's attitude to life. you've only got 18 or 21,000, it'll be, it'll be kicked out because the limit's 15,000. But, yeah, anyway. but yeah, we um, get his point. We get his point. Don't nitpick. But no, let me just say, the point about this is that you know, it, the engines were designed to work for eight races. And if you remember the start of the season, Mercedes went all the way through their first power cycle with no issues whatsoever. They changed the engine back here, which is round six or seven, and then they carried on going from there. These issues have all been post-summer. Now, I think they may have had a batch problem, which has caused some problems with, with all the team's engines, and they've now replaced a number of them. But they've now got engines which are only going to have to run four races, and therefore, if you're running four races in an eight-race engine, it goes to show, it goes to obvious you can run them at a higher mode because you can put more stress through them. Now, this whole degradation smoke screen is fine, but then there, are, there is the other point. That if you actually do sit there and think, right, I want an absolute special. Yeah, you can turn these things up to, to 11 and then they'll run for a race. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, yeah, you sit there going, and we're in a situation where there are only four competitive cars. Mm. On, an, on a track where you can overtake, there are only four competitive cars. If one of them is your teammate, you only need to overtake two cars to win. Correct. Because as, say you start in sixth or seventh, you'll make a decent start. You get past the others, you know, you're all right, you're eight seconds back by, by the tune. But at that point, you've got 30 horsepower more. And, and that's, that's, that's the way they have to work. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, we don't, we could, next week, this week's race Qatar, we, no one really knows. It's quite a twisty bike track, so I don't think it's particularly good for overtaking. But the final two races is a flat-out street circuit. And, of course, the newly revised um, Yas Marina, which is always a nightmare for overtaking, but um, now they say it's going to be much, much easier um, with the changes to the... Everybody the will take new engines. Everybody will be starting at the back. And everybody starting 10th. Well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, because don't forget, this is the thing. The interesting thing is that Mercedes are brilliantly exporting a loophole, which was designed, which was, which actually was given to Honda in the first place. Mm. Honda were getting through so many engines. They said, well, look, you know, we, it's not fair we have to go to the back every time we take an engine. So they said, oh, I'll tell you what, if you just take the up and down bit, so it's only five places. Yeah. So that's all Mercedes are doing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fine. But, uh, yeah, in many ways, if you're prepared to take the pain, fine, go for it. Mm-hmm. But the problem that Red Bull have is if they put a new engine, it doesn't have the same effect. Because they've been able to run their engines at 95%, whereas Mercedes apparently were running about 85%. So if you think about, they can easily find 50, 60 horsepower. And if you and let's say they get to Yas Marina, and they're several points behind, then they may as well just bung new engines in and turn them up to 10. 
Let's see what happens. Turn them up with 11, as you said. Okay. Yeah, think, yeah. Did you finish talking about Valtteri and... and no, Valtteri, yeah, Valtteri um, did, did a Valtteri job. And he, was, he was brilliant on Saturday. Um, he just happened to be the Why didn't he just stay the on the track at the start of the race and let Max run into him? Why, why, people, did, why did he let himself be bullied off track? From a racing drive, they've been built to, to, to bring their cars home. And uh, when and someone he thought they had to surf one, one, two, in the way. Yeah, yeah, that's wrong, what, I'm afraid. Um, anyway, so yeah, so Lewis Hamilton uh, made up 24 places in two races. He drove absolutely brilliantly. He had a very good car, but you know, he like, he like, he, he, you stick Lewis's back against the wall and suddenly you see how good he is. Um, it's all the sometimes he's back against his wall because it's his own fault, but other times it's not. And here it wasn't, and he looked fantastic. But you know, the thing is, the really weird thing is, if you think about how much faster Red Bull was um, 10 days ago in Mexico <laughs> yeah. and then three days ago, I've never seen such a big swing between two teams in 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 a week, and there's nothing to say. Particularly in consecutive flyaways. Well, that's yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, no, yes, because there's point, no new parts. Very good point, yeah, no Tim. Uh, so goodness only knows what's going to happen next week. Um, but I do think the the significant thing is is actually about Mercedes engine a, engine tactics more than whether Max gets a, a retrograde penalty, which he won't get. I just want to say one thing about the whole weekend, which I'm now getting bored about. And, <laughs> and in any other walk of life, you wouldn't be allowed to do it. Both Max Verstappen and Christian Horner on Saturday didn't just suggest, they said that they believed Mercedes were cheating, but they won't put their money where their mouth is and protest the car. And when asked the direct question on Sunday, Christian said, we're not going to protest this race. As if there's something that he's going to protest in the future, which obviously is his, um, uh, which is his prerogative and the team's prerogative. And then he said, it's up to the FIA to decide who's, who's outside the rules and who isn't. Well, if that's the case, then shut up and just go racing. Because that now is, frankly... That's like saying, I'm pretty sure they've got 12 men on the pitch. Mm, well, I don't think so. I think we've checked, and it, they haven't. <laughs> and I'm just yeah. getting bored of that now. And and that think, that is think, petulism, I'm afraid. Yeah, and I think if you, you notice that, that, that you know, Toto was, was quite different this week, and I think he's fed up with it as well. I'm not saying Toto's perfect, but... No, he's not. You know, he's one thing, up, wasn't he? Yeah, and one thing I would say is, that, you know, this is my consistent opinion about Red Bull, is that... Horner and Marco are toxic. Max Verstappen is an incredibly talented racing driver who needs better management from above, but is having the usual golden child treatment. Didn't do Verstappen, didn't do Vettel much good. He won some world championships, but you know, how much nicer is Vettel now than he was when he was at Red Bull? I know the maturity comes into it. I'd spec your team. I'd spec your team. How much is Vettel ni- nicer now? I don't think yeah, we can quantify exactly. that. He's, in he's real turned terms. into a grandee, and, he, and, he, and he's you know, he's got a perspective on the world, but. You know, multi twenty one. Seb would. What? I don't think. I don't think Seb would be doing that. If he would be the chance of winning, he'd do what that. What is now. the SR unit of niceness? What is it? I'd spec your team if you think you know. Right, we must stop this now because we've been we, keeping we people must for too this long. On. Yes, uh, and uh, twelve men on the pitch. Is that one of the uh, rearranged rules for netball? <laughs> Actually, fewer, more, usually more, more than more. Indeed. Uh, is it? Is it time for a jingle? Yes. Midweek Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. 
I hope it's not half-time because Paul and the HRN team will be waiting a very long time. They'll be looking at the effect of the pandemic on Goodwood. That comes up in about 45 minutes now. But in the second half of tonight's programme, a bit more of uh, Nick if we've got time for some bikes. Shea Adam has just landed in Florida and we'll be talking to her about the Visit Cayman Island Sports Car News. Lots of driver announcements that we need to get to you. Uh, our big news about Bathurst uh, last week in February. More on that tomorrow with Creelsey and the team at nine. But next, our big interview. Champion of IMSA, Pipo Durrani for Action Express and Wheel and Engineering Cadillac. He joins us. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Well, delighted to say that joining us here for our big interview this week is the 2021 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Champion for uh, uh, DPI. I nearly said LMDH there. I'm predicting the future, perhaps. Congratulations to wheel and engineering Cadillac driver, Pipo Durrani. Pipo, welcome back to the show, and you're a champion, my friend. Thank you. It's it's great to be back, John. And it's, uh, yeah, we didn't speak long ago, but um, it surely feels better now speaking to you as a champion. You're at the shop at the moment, and I know you're going to say it's a team effort, and surely it, it has been, and particularly in a, uh, in a, an endurance season like we've had this year, it's especially a team effort. Yeah, it is. You know, it's been, uh, it's been a long time coming, and I think, uh, especially with the disappointments of uh, the two previous years uh, and uh, the beginning of this year being so difficult, it really was a team effort to uh, get ourselves together and, you know, uh, pushing each other within the team to to make it happen and and to look back on all the difficult days um, and realizing that we we pulled this off. It's uh, it's fantastic. So as you said, a real real team effort here. Uh, how do you? How do you look back on a season like this and and how do you, I suppose, how do you bring it all together and, and rationalise it in your mind and, and look at it and say, ah, this is where we won the season or that's where we won the season. Ultimately, you could say it went down to the last corner pretty much of the last race, but that's only a tiny snapshot of the season, people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think... Um... I would say the turning point was obviously getting our first win uh, in Watkins Glen because uh, by that point we hadn't won for nearly a year. And so taking the, the, the weight off our shoulders uh, really eased uh, everyone's uh, nerves and, and everyone relaxed and, and then things started flowing a little bit better. I don't think we did anything different. Uh, because we were always searching for wins, week, uh, week and in, week and out. But um, the fact that we managed to get the first win helped a lot. And, and um, the season really was really split in, in two for us. You know, the first half uh, being completely different to the second half. Of course, the beginning of the recovery started in the first, in the end of the first half of the season. But uh, really, the the big turning point was Watkins Glen, which was more or less at the middle of the of the championship, and uh, and then getting three wins from that moment on 
uh, all the way to the end of the season was fantastic. But how do I look back on it? Um, it's it's incredible. You don't you don't often see teams uh, recovering from such a such a poor beginning to end up winning the championship. Yeah, you might see every once in a while a team starting bad and finishing well as second place, third place, which is already a great achievement considering the the difficulty, uh, the difficult beginning. But you know, in our case, it, we we pulled this off in in an amazing way. Um, winning the championship by a mere, I don't know, 11 points or something, which is a point in the, in the old uh, yes, point right. system. That's right. And, uh, and, you know, just shows how much everyone in the team really wanted because to be able to do that, we really had to push ourselves. Each and every single one of, uh, of the team member really had to give an extra bit to compensate for the difficult beginning. So it's really rewarding uh, when you win like that. Of course, everybody is going to look at the last race of the season. Of, of course, they are. Between you guys and your main competitors, the Wayne Taylor Racing Acura, you made it relatively simple for Jeremy Shea, uh, Johnny Morlam and myself in commentating, in that it, it pretty much was whoever finishes ahead would would take the championship. Um, so that bit, from our point of view, we didn't have to get our head around a lot of complicated uh, complicated points uh, possibilities how did you approach Motil Patel and Mon at the weekend do you go in there thinking we have to watch the number 10 or do you go in there thinking we'll race our own race and see how the see how it all lies at the end of the 10 hours uh, it's it's a mix John between uh, between the two the two options you just mentioned because at the same time, like honestly, when we got to the to the weekend before qualifying, the only thing that would 100% guarantee us the the championship was winning the race. Especially if the number 10 had qualified ahead of us, then it wasn't just uh, just finishing ahead of them. We had to finish two positions ahead. Had that happened, so uh, mentality in the beginning was let's just approach this weekend as an another race weekend and and aim for the win. But then, of course, as the weekend progresses and, and the race goes on, you start adapting your uh, your plans to making sure that you win the championship, which is the most important. Of course, we wanted to win the race. And in, in a way, I think we kind of uh, we could have uh, won the race, but uh, the championship was more important. And so we gave up a couple of. Uh, uh, of things during the race, we took a couple of decisions thinking of uh, of the championship, uh, and so with that in mind, we end up losing the race and focusing focusing on on materializing the championship. But as you as you saw in the race, he came down to the very last corner, so you know it was really at the very edge. The decisions we took uh, thinking of the championship was really at the at the at the very very at the very edge. Of uh, of working it, um, had we taken a decision to go for the race win, could it have been maybe a little bit easier at the end? Maybe <laughs> yes, uh, but you know, once you're in that situation, there's no right or wrong. There's always there's always a team decision that it's made at a at a very high pressure moment, yes. and um, and then you only really know if it's going to work out at the very end. But gladly it did. Obviously, you know, Felipe was in the car at the end 
Um, I always feel for the drivers, Johnny Morlam and I were talking about this in the commentary, about how hard it is when you're not in the car. When you're in the car, your focus is, is doing your job and getting the laps done and overtaking all the cars that you have to overtake. When you're outside of the car, you're sitting there going, I can't affect any of this. So that must have been bad for, for you when you weren't in the car and Felipe when he wasn't uh, in the car. How much more pressure do you think there is on Mike Conway, I know he's driven with you through the season, but effectively, he's when he gets in the car, he's got all the hopes and ambitions of the whole team on his shoulders, and he's he sort of parachuted into the team. That that must be really hard for him. Yeah, I think uh, it's not an easy uh, role to play uh, in a, in a moment like that. But Mike, you know, he's a great guy, very calm. Easy going. He, he he just won his championship, you know. So he he knows what he's talking. I mean, was was it what a month ago he won the world championship? So he was in a similar situation not very long ago, and uh, and with that in mind, he's always uh, very chilled and, and calm. And I think approaching the race like that, as he did, was essential to to help us win the championship. Now, of course, being outside of the car when you mentioned that. Um, it's not easy, you know, especially at the at the closing moments of the race when I'm sitting there with my wife, like four or five minutes to go, and, and Ricky Taylor is getting closer and closer by the minute. Um, but at the same time, I had I had somehow a peace, uh, a peaceful feeling inside of me that I knew that whatever God wanted uh, was was the best, and and so I was in peace with that. Had we finished second or or or, of course, had we won the championship. And so I have to say, even at the very last lunch that he did in the last corner, I was much more calmer than I would have been maybe a few years ago or, or, or last year. And just with that belief that if it's meant to be, if it's God's will, then, then it's going to happen. And you could see it that it was meant to be our race, our championship this year. Because it literally came down to the very, very end, and and yeah, it's, it's very, it's very nice to look back and see that it was a hard-fought battle, and it makes it even more worth it. And for Mike, I think having helped, we could see it in his eyes that he was, he was really enjoying having been a part of it and helped us uh, win this championship. So I'm really glad we had him on board as well. In fairness, as you pointed out, having the newly crowned world champion uh, jump back into the team is uh, is it's not like you've just gone and dragged somebody off the streets in Brazelton. And Camry, of course, was was Kobayashi was also in the race as well, although dri- driving for for another team. Um, I said congratulations. It's heartfelt for you. Uh, and for everybody at Action Express and, and Whale and Engineering, Felipe, of course, she asked you this question at the at the end of the race, but maybe one or two people didn't hear uh, all of our, of our coverage. So I'm going to ask it again because I thought it was good. How how important was it, and how in some ways even more special was it that you won it with your countrymen? who you two have been friends for a very long time, raced with each other, raced against each other. Did that make it, in some ways, even a little more special? I think it did, you know, because in not very often you get the chance to share it uh, with a countryman, uh, what we shared, you know. And, and Philippe and I, we, they, everyone knows the story. We, had, um, we grew up kind of... Uh, 
racing against each other in go-karts, then eventually Formula 3, and then H1, his career took, uh, took, uh, took him to Formula 1, and I end up in sports car. But, you know, it's very special when, um, when you can share that same passion from a guy who grew up dreaming of the same thing, uh, of achieving the same thing as you. Now, what's even more special, I think, is the fact that we started uh, racing together in 2019, uh, for William Engineering Cadillac. When I joined the team, he was already there. And um, and everyone regarded us as the, the lineup to beat. You know, we were the ones that, you know, everyone should, should have been afraid of. And so we came really close to winning the championship at 19 and, and came just short with, uh, I don't know, two, two points uh, behind uh, the Penske car. And, and so we went to 2020, Felipe ended up losing a race. Um, I had a chance uh, to fight for the championship, but we all know what happened. And, and then we go into this year and we knew Felipe was going to move, move away from the team. And so in a way we were feeling like, at least myself, like, are we going to get a championship together? Because, um, yeah. everyone regarded us as the ones to beat. And so far, I mean, we've been, we've won a bunch of things together, an endurance championship, Sebring, Petit, and so on, but the championship is missing. We came so close in 19. Is this going to be the year? And uh, and we always had that in, back, in the back of our minds, at least I did. And and so to actually snatch that championship up um, and it's, it's like achieving and finishing a, an era on a high and, and looking back, thinking, okay, we achieved what uh, we... The reason why the team put us together was to achieve a championship. And now, finally, despite all the, the things that went against us in the past, here we are, uh, mission accomplished. We won a championship together. Yeah. And so that's really, that's really something special. Uh, and even more so sharing it with a guy that I, I grew up racing against and, and raising the Brazilian flag. So that's definitely uh, a memory forever. Any championship is special at the level that you're racing at. You've been a professional motor racing driver for quite a long time, people. Uh, I I remember you meeting you a uh, few years ago down at, uh, I think it was Ricard for the, the prologue over in, in Europe. I think that was the first time I met you. And... So any any championship is special. Is it a little bit sweeter? And do you, at this part of your career, perhaps appreciate it more because of what you've said, because you've been so close and you've had it in your grasp? And I suspect that although it's the first of championship of IMSA, which I presume will be of many, it means that you really appreciate it? Of course, I mean, you have to remember, John, that um, when you look at the history of Action Express racing, there aren't many drivers that pass through this team and, and, and has not won a championship. And so when we, when we fought for the championship in the first year, uh, and unfortunately we came, we came just short, I, I already thought of it like, okay, great, I had a, a great first year. Could have won the championship, didn't, but I have the team to to achieve that. But then comes the second year, which was last year, and massive disappointment at the end of the season. 
We had Petit Le Mans that I was taking out by, by Ricky, six laps to go. That put our championship, you know, nearly in a, on an impossible level going into Sebring. And all we needed was a um, was car 10 and car 7, if I'm not wrong, the Penske car, to kind of drop out of the race or finish six or, or worse. And within two hours to go, we, we, we found ourselves in that position. Like, okay, now it's in our hands. And I tried a lunge into Montoya and eventually broke my front, my front wheel. And, and so at that moment, I really felt like, man, I just had I just thrown away another chance to to win a championship. Uh, not another one. That was actually the first one. But you know, has another championship just slipped through our hands? And in that moment in time, I said, I can't believe that it was me. You know, you you put your you put so much effort in it. You you give so much of yourself. And you just think, oh my God, am I gonna have to wait just another twelve months to see if I'm gonna fight yes. for a championship again? And 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 when that goes through your mind, it feels like an eternity. And then you have to remember that we come to the beginning of the season again. Daytona is a disaster. We have a gearbox problem. Sebring, I have another contact with uh, with year one. And then I think, my God, is this gonna be another another year gone? <laughs> so the pressure keeps. I mean, a pressure that I put on myself, right, to come into a championship-winning team and and with a with a great teammate on my side, and and you you just the pressure starts building, and you're like, okay, uh, let's get things together. Don't stop believing; we can still make it. And that's how somehow we turned the season. And so when you talk about, does it make it any sweeter? Yes, it does, because first. We were fighting with Ricky Taylor last year at uh, at uh, at Petit, and so in a way, he tried to move. I don't blame don't blame him. I told him at the time, I think you made a mistake, and I end up in the wall. But I've always had a lot of respect for him. Um, and then the year after, we're fighting against him again. So it really makes it special because I felt like last year was a year where somehow it was taken away from us. Yes, maybe a little bit because of what happened at Petit, also a little bit because of myself at Sebring, but it felt like, man, that was our championship uh, and and it got, it slipped away at the very last time. So then this year, at the very last moment, it came the other way around. So it, it really feels special that, okay, finally, I got this championship. There's so much weight off my shoulders now that I can just, I mean... Looking back, I've won. I had won everything in in IMSA, but the overall championship. I yeah. had won the endurance championship. I had won Sebring, Daytona, Petit, but the title, the the overall title, was missing. And so it really, it's really, really special because it was a long time coming for for this to happen. How how long have you got to to enjoy this, people? Because with the Motil Petit Le Mans being so far through the year this year, which added its own problems at the weekend with a bit more darkness and certainly a lot less temperature for you to work with with the Michelin tyres. Uh, by my calculations, it is something like 63, 64 days before you're back on track, maybe even a little less than that, uh, at, at the Raw before and you know under 70 days before the green flag at the Rolex 24, there seems to be no time off this year. Yeah, but um, that's a good thing. Uh, 
we're gonna go back racing soon. I'm I'm excited for that. In the other hand, I wish I was the current champion for a little longer. Had the race uh, had the race uh, started in uh, in October like last year. But uh, jokes aside, it's you know I've had it uh, a couple of days now to try and 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 have everything sink in and, and realize what we achieved still hasn't fully uh, i haven't fully understood the, the the magnitude of this championship and especially the way it, it happened but i'm sure in a few days it, it will fully uh sink in Good. um but yeah we're, we're heading into december now already i'm gonna go down to brazil spend a little family time uh, and hopefully be as sharp as I can to start another season. And then hopefully that other season we won't have such a difficult beginning because it really made our lives much harder <laughs> in the second half of this season in 2021. Indeed. Once again, congratulations from all of us here. Th- thanks, John. I, and I just wanted to, uh, to tell you one little story as, uh, as I, I, I always do in your, in your show. Uh, I don't know if you guys are superstitious or not, but... Uh, that came across after actually we 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 won the race. Uh, my very first uh, test in a Formula car was 13th of October 2008, and uh, the championship winning uh, day was 13th of November 2021, wow. and that was 13 years after the very first time I sat in a single seater, and uh, I was sent a picture from a friend who was there at the test and uh, there was the the little date on the bottom right of the picture <laughs> and my father was right there and so that just shows that in in a career of an athlete of a driver how much you work to achieve something it took me 13 years 13 years from the very first moment that I sat in a single seater to finally achieve the the, the dream of winning a top level championship uh, I've come close in the past, you know, I've come second places and so on, but it's just uh, such a high level that it's uh, it makes it all worth it. So uh, that's a little story I wanted to share with it. you. A little bit of a superstition there with the 13, but... Uh, hey, people, you might have to talk to the great. team and get them to run 13 instead of 31 next year. What do you reckon? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe the thirty-one. It's is you just invert the numbers. Exactly. And you, go, you have thirteen, and uh, you know, it's it's just all uh, all a little superstition here. It's just a fun story, but it's just to say how how long it takes sometimes, how much effort you have to put in to achieve something. So never stop believing, and that's the I would say what happened this season. We never really stopped believing. But John, thank you so very much. It's great talking to you guys as usual, and uh, hopefully. A lot more to come, a lot more uh, chats next year. Um, and, and yeah, thanks for, for all that you guys do for the sport. It's, it's great. Uh, it's our pleasure. It, it really is. The entertainment level this year, right at the end of the championship, has been outstanding. Thank you. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Pippo Durrani there. Uh, we're going to stay on four wheels, but a completely different type of four wheels now as we head to Monza, where this weekend it's the final round of the World Rally Championship and a Toyota treble in the offing, Ben Constantinus. Yeah, hi, Tim. Nice to hear your voice. Uh, particularly excited about Monza as it's only a couple of hours from where I live and the combination of an F1 track, as we saw a bit earlier on in the season with Spa-Francorchamps and the WRC cars. And of course, not just any old 
uh, Formula One track, but Monza with its banking, with its legendary status, and with the mountains around that caused so much uh, uh, hassle, I think uh, uh, is the best way of putting it, last year. How has the how has the route changed from last year, Ben? Because it was kind of, I want to, I was going to say thrown together. That that sounds mm. um, wrong. It was put together at very short notice. When we talked earlier in the year here on Midweek Motorsport, you suggested that there might be a little more mileage away from the circuit. Yeah. So um, last year they did one day away from the circuit on Saturday. Uh, they ran, I think, only two or three stages. Um, in the morning and then went back to them in the afternoon. Now, if you remember, the uh, afternoon stages were effectively cancelled, most of them, because of the snow that appeared um, as it was run at the uh, start of December. Quite normal up in that kind of an area above uh, north of Bergamo. Uh, This year, they have split those stages uh, into appearances both on Saturday and on Sunday. So they'll do two loops of two stages on Friday, then in the afternoon, they would vi- they'll visit the Monza circuit and do uh, the various different stages, which aren't short around no. that uh, parkland circuit, up to 15 kilometres in length, uh, using parts of the access roads and the Formula One track. They'll then do uh, a similar thing on Saturday, but with two different stages in the mountains. And it will only be Sunday where they will stay at uh, the racetrack for its entirety. In fact, there's only three stages on Sunday. I thought they did a really good job last year with what they did around the parkland and around around the track. There was a nice mixture of high-speed stuff on the track. They used bits of the old banking, which rally cars can use. Of course, we probably can't see circuit racing uh, around there. Um, and, and as you said, they, they, spread it, they spread it out. So are we going to see some of the same sort of stages in Monza Park as we saw last year? Yeah, I think the layouts, I haven't looked at it in detail, but I think the layouts are pretty similar. Remember, the Monza Rally Show has been going on since the 80s. Forever, This is an event uh, which WRC has more and more got associated to over the years and kind of promotionally backed uh, the year before we uh, ended up going there because of COVID. Uh, A similar situation here. It's replacing uh, Japan that should have been our uh, finale to this season. Um, but uh, so therefore these stages are actually historical and have been laid out around the parkland for many years. So I don't think we'll see too many changes. As you say, they use the part of the paddocks, they use the oval, they use the racetrack, they use the TV compound that we know, they use all the access roads and the forest roads around uh, and actually a unique challenge, but a challenge certainly. I think what we will see differently this year is it does look as though Uh, Whilst it's raining right now over the next couple of days, when we get to the weekend, it will be dry and therefore uh, cuts will become much more Mm. important because it will be wet in the grass and on the mud. But the tarmac will be dry. Racetrack should be easier, but uh, it'll still be a big challenge for sure. 27 points the lead between the two Toyotas, Sebastian Ogier, sorry, Sebastian Ogier on 204 points, uh, Elvin Evans on one. Eight seven. It's going to take a bit of a miracle for the Welshman to overhaul his illustrious teammate and stop him getting what is it now an eighth world championship. Yeah, but Elvin came into last year's uh, finale with a similar uh, advantage and ended up losing the championship because he understeered wide on an icy corner. Uh, on Saturday morning. So anything is still possible. There's so many things to hit uh, around the Monza <laughs> circuit, around the mountains. There are so many possibilities of errors. And we haven't seen 
fantastic results, really, from Ogier in the second half of the season. He's not won a rally since Kenya. I remember standing there mm. with him in Kenya and saying, you've won four rallies. Can you do more? Because the last time you won a championship with more than four was 2008. And actually, he hasn't. he's only been on the podium once since in Greece. Um, whereas Elvin, certainly the last two rounds, a win in Finland, a second in Spain, has the momentum with him. Uh, and we are missing a few key players as well. So very, very interesting to see if Elvin could do it. He is chasing rather than being chased. Hmm. But ultimately, we know Sebastian Auger is retiring full time from WRC at the end of this rally. He will do part time next year. He will also probably end up at Le Mans with Toyota or at least in WEC, as I'm sure you've talked about before. Hmm. And so Elvin would love to beat him before Ultimately, maybe it becomes a bit easier to be a world champion when Sebastian Auger leaves. So you mentioned a few people not there. Tim mentioned yep. a, a potential treble for for Toyota and Toyota Kazoo Racing. Auger and Evans clearly fighting it out at the top. The, the best of the Hyundais in the championship is another 30-odd points behind Thierry Neville. So who else should we be looking for this weekend who could potentially be the fly in the ointment for Elvin Evans? Because effectively, Elvin's got to win this and have something go wrong with, with Sebastian. Who else is he going to be battling against? Well, look at uh, look at the running order. Uh, obviously, on tarmac, we, we have the leader of the championship running first, uh, and that is a, a benefit to Auger, uh, whereas in gravel, it would not be a benefit, and you'd actually be looking further down the pecking mm. order for somebody uh, to, to spring a surprise. The big thing, the big news is Oit Tanak, for personal reasons, is not participating in Monza. So uh, a massive potential rally winning car in the Hyundai was available to someone. And that someone ended up being Teemu Sunanen, who oh. we've seen not doing a very good job in a Ford for most of the season. Uh, then being relegated from the World Rally Team to the WRC2 team in Ford. Him not really getting on with that either. And so leaving Ford and joining the Hyundai WRC2 team and now finding himself in the main team as the third driver alongside uh, Neuville uh, and Danny Sordo. Uh, so uh, I would love to see Tamo spring a surprise. He, sees, he said he feels very comfortable in the car. It's very easy to drive. And we know the Hyundai have worked a lot on their tarmac prestige, as we saw from Thierry Neuville in Belgium, winning by a comfortable margin, Craig Breen second, on that particular occasion. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it could be it could be a real big surprise with Danny Sordo, with Sudanen and with Thierry Neuville. I think those guys will be pushing, pushing hard. There is still the possibility that Hyundai can beat uh, Toyota uh, in the championship, although uh, uh, Andrea Adamo said it's more likely that he will go on a date with Jennifer Anderson uh, <laughs> than win the championship. He's quoted on paper as saying that. It's all in the science. Uh, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, I think I said 27 points between the top two. It's 17. Sorry, my arithmetic was hopeless there. Um, in terms then of of, of that, and by the way, we, we wish I'd Tanak well. It's none of our business why he's not there, but clearly there's something not right with him and his family, so we, we wish him all the best in that situation. A decent opportunity for Sunanen to, uh, to uh, shine, as you say, after a bit of a meh season uh, in the mm. if I met a couple of seasons 18 months certainly um, what are the Fords then we didn't talk about Fords there uh, well Ford have not been developing their car um, they are really just running this season out I think 
Um, they'll have Gus Greensmith and Adrian Formo in that car. Um, but ultimately, let's not also forget the reason why you really have to watch this weekend is this is the very last time we'll see these particular cars participating. They have been so incredible to watch over the last, what is it, four or five seasons. And this is the last time before we move into a new regulation set, not a totally brand new regulation set, but a regulation set that will take away their rear diffuser, take away sequential gearboxes. They'll have to use um, a gear shift rather than a paddle shift. Okay. They will not have a, a central differential. And of course, they have this hybrid system, which gives them 150 extra brake horsepower for around 10 seconds if they didn't recuperate, but they will be able to regenerate energy. Uh, and so it'll be a whole new ball game when we go into 2022. That is where you want to watch the Fords. Uh, and that is why don't expect anything from them. They, they have done a really good job, actually, over the last couple of rallies of just cruising around and yeah. picking up good points. And I'm sure we'll see that again from Gus and Adrian. You mentioned the you mentioned the history of this event as as the Monza Rally Show and now Monza Rally. Um, that is underlined by the fact that Dinto Capello is the most successful driver, followed I think swiftly by, um, if if not in second place, he must be high up the rankings of Valentino Rossi. Have we got any Have we got any um, superstar uh, entries from other forms of motorsport this weekend? An absolute classic, isn't it? Uh, this is what happens when you throw an FIA uh, World Rally Championship or indeed just the FIA brand into any events. Suddenly the entry fees go up, regulations become tighter to enter and the likes of the Valentino Rossi's, we saw motocross stars enter a couple of years, as you say, mm. uh, Dindo Capello entered for many years. Uh, and those kind of people, those entries are no longer really able to, to feature. So oh, unfortunately, shit. no Valentino Rossi. I'm sure Ford are on the phone to try and get him in a <laughs> WRC car for 2022. Um, he is the most successful, by the way. He's seven-time winner. Is he? Dindo, wow. Dindo five-time winner. Wow, okay. Um, but yeah, we'd love to see Valentino come back. And it's just that classic thing. You know, uh, I, we see it in all forms of motorsport. Do a, do a TCR race. And you get all kinds of entries. Do a FIA World TCR race, and suddenly regulations tighten, entry fees go higher, and things change. And and so, unfortunately, for the Monza Rally Show, they get the World Rally Championship, but they lose those uh, yeah. one-off entries. A quick thought before I ask you what you think will happen in this round and, and the championship about the support categories. We are there was a there was an odd situation where not everybody turned out at the last one in. Um, WRC 2 and the junior category. So where are we in those categories? Uh, well, the, the oddest thing was that due to where Mads Osberg finished in Spain, uh, Andreas Mikkelsen became champion, even Without though being Mikkelsen there. wasn't participating. <laughs> bizarre. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, very bizarre. So I think, I believe that Mikkelsen will be back. Uh, I actually haven't checked the entry list, but I believe he is back. Um, I know that Mads Osberg is actually on the broadcast team this weekend. Oh, okay. uh, so he's not driving, but he can't chase it down any further. Um, and Johan Rossell is champion of WRC3, but because he was disqualified in Greece lost that championship and could could become champion if that decision is overthrown, regardless of the result in Monza. Um, <laughs> I'm not actually entirely sure who wins it if it doesn't happen that way around. Hang on. But, uh, that was my head. That was my brain just exploding. Yeah. 
Oh, I, actually, and there's two other people to mention uh, this weekend. Completely forgot, but we do have Neil Solans, mm. uh, Spanish driver, second time in a WRC car. He was he, mega uh, on his home rally. Spain, yeah. last minute, and a great, great uh, performance from him. And we will have Oliver Solberg back in the WRC right. uh, Hyundai for this final round as well. Who um, wins? Who so wins? Who wins the rally? Entry. Sorry, who wins the rally? Who wins the championship? Oh, I don't put me on that. I, I think it's a Hyundai that's going to win the rally. Uh, I'd say Thierry Neville probably. Right. And I would love uh, Hart says Elvin Evans, Head says Sebastian Ogier. We'll speak to you, you for a rally review when we find all this out. Ben Constantinos, <laughs> thanks for joining us here on Midweek Motorsport. Cheers, mate. And after we finish here tonight, Paul Tarsi's here with the Historic Racing News Radio Show and uh, a special edition this week where he talks to Alan Brewer of the Goodwood Road Racing Company about the challenges that Goodwood faced during the pandemic, having to cancel a members meeting, Festival of Speed hmm. and the revival. It's all with uh, Paul Tarsi at 10 o'clock here on RS1. Uh, yeah, worth listening to that as well. Uh, time before we finish the show for a bit of Visit Cayman Island Sports Car News. Shea Adam has literally just jumped off the plane, jumped into the car and got back to base. Welcome back to Florida, Shea. <laughs> Thanks. Nice to be back. It's overcast, cloudy, warm and about to rain. Uh, so exactly how you left it. That's nice. Exactly. <laughs> how, how were you greeted when you got back home? Uh, Patch was waiting for me at the top of the stairs. There have been plenty of leg rubs. Yeah, my cat missed me. And uh, yeah, mom and dad aren't too upset to see me either. I'm pleased <laughs> you mentioned that Patch was the cat. That could have caused a lot of a lot of problems. Uh, <laughs> busy, busy weekend at Petit Le Mans. Great to hear people, our champion, one of our champions, talking about how much it meant to him. There was a, there was a lot of good vibes, to use a very old-fashioned term, in the pit lane at the weekend. Yeah, a lot of smiling faces, a lot of happy people, a culmination of a really great year of racing. And we said goodbye to a lot of things that we knew and some that we didn't know until after the race. The news has been popping. Yeah, it really has. It really has. Right, let's start with some of that. Some driving news as well for some new people coming in. But you're right. Let's let's talk about what we're going to lose. Uh, we know we're going to lose Mazda. They went out on a high. Still not sure whether that car's coming back, but what a fairy tale ending for oh. Mazda, for Multimatic, and for everybody involved in that effort. Ideal. And it's a situation where that race has been so cruel to <laughs> Mazda in the past. You think about a few years ago when they looked like they were going to get their first ever podium and the car burst into flames with about eight minutes to go yes. to their first double podium for an endurance race back in 2018 to finally, finally, finally getting the win. That is three major endurance race wins with Sebring, uh, Watkins Glen, and now Motul Petit Le Mans, all within the span of a calendar year. Phenomenal for Mazda. And you got to shine the car on the grid. I did. I had a Sharpie in my pocket because they dared me the day before. And so I found one and I brought it. And yep, my my name will forever be on the nose of that Mazda. Pretty along, cool. Along with several hundred fans who submitted yeah, 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 as well. And that was but... done as a done as a, a livery. All right. So one of the drivers from that effort um, hasn't been unemployed for very long. Ollie Jarvis <laughs> has moved over to MSR. And it makes so much sense. He's got pink on his helmet. He He's had pink on his helmet forever. He's going to be driving a pink car. 
But the bigger thing here is that a Mazda driver, a former Audi driver as well, moving over to Acura ranks and Acura looking to build upon their potential LMDH car. That is a fantastic snag for them. I think it's very interesting because Ollie does have a history, of course, of developing cars with Audi and had a very good reputation for that. So next year, really exciting but how much are they planning for the future with Ollie? And also a second driver. And is this another thinking of the future? Because experience with Ollie, bit of youth with the other driver they've announced. Yep, Tom Blancfist, former BMW driver. They're picking up all their rivals. I love how they're doing this. Um, Tom has a full season experience in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship running in GTLM. He was Connor Felipe's co-driver a couple years ago. He knows the tracks. Again, not going to be wasting much time getting up to pace. And then we look at their endurance drivers. They haven't announced them yet, but they've got Elio Castroneves and Simon Pagano for the team for IndyCar for the full season. If it's going to be anyone, it's going to be one of those two, or quite frankly, both for Daytona. Uh, in the GT Le Mans categories, we bid farewell to a category that's given us so much entertainment and excitement down through the years. Porsche bookended the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship era 2014 at Daytona. They won first and second uh, at the weekend, a class that has been extraordinary year. 87 races over the course of, what, eight seasons worth of racing. 31 wins for Corvette. They claim the most Mm. victories in class. 26 for Porsche, though, so hot on the heels. But when you consider the competitiveness of this category, beyond what we've just seen in 2021, there have always been different manufacturers gunning for the wins. 13 of them went the way of Ford, 11 for BMW. And then, of course, you can't forget about Ferrari and Viper with four and two respectively it has been a class that you will always look back on as giving phenomenal racing and if you get bored you go on youtube you look up any of the races (laughs) that have featured gtlm over the last how many ever years you're going to be entertained and at the the risk of upsetting our very good friends at imsa um don't forget that Corvette joined WEC, which still has GTLM. It's called GTE over there. Uh, and they'll join in for the first time for a full season effort for one C8R next year. And we hope that they'll get the two entries that they uh, desire for the Le Mans 24. Um, GTD, couple of car, couple of championship uh, battles were still going on there. Uh, it wasn't the weekend that they hoped for for Paul Miller Racing, former for for championship team. And we find out that that was their last race with Lamborghini. Yeah, the announcement coming out the day after the race that it has been a very successful relationship with Lamborghini, it but ever. it is coming to a close. Uh, between driving with Madison Snow and Brian Sellers, they've accumulated 44% of the time on the podium. That is a lot of trophies. 27 GTD trophies for Madison, 25 for Brian in their careers in the category. And after the pole position this weekend, which, by the way, gave four on the season to Lamborghini, the most poles to any manufacturer of anyone else over the course of the year, Madison now sits alone with the record for GTD polls. So they have had a very fruitful relationship finishing first, second, and fourth in the championship over three full seasons worth of running. It's been a good one for sure. And Paul Miller will likely be staying in the class. It's not my announcement to make. Uh, They will be switching manufacturers. Okay. But stay tuned. We'll find out more about that 
in the probably months to come. I don't expect to see an announcement from them until shortly before Daytona. GTD Pro coming. Um, that's a definite Pro-Am team. And the the emphasis has always been on Pro-Am there. Um presumably they would stay in GTD rather than going to GTD Pro. Yes, that is my understanding. Okay, that's fine. Lamborghini then, GRT Grasser um, racing team, they've been in and out of the championship. Who is there to to step up for for Lamborghini? It's clearly still a competitive car. And with GTD Pro coming, they've got some great pro drivers spread across the world. Yes, they do. And that's the bit of a sticky situation, John, being able to cross over paddocks this year. Mm. I heard a lot of rumors and whispers from a Lamborghini team running predominantly in the SRO GT Americas. They were given an opportunity to come to GTD with the manufacturer. As I understand it, that is not happening anymore. So there's a big question mark over who will be representing the bull in GTD next year, whether it's pro or GTD normal. Wayne Taylor Racing have been involved slightly in the background in in the Super Trofeo. And just earlier on today, in fact, uh, thanks to Daniel Lloyd at Sportscar 365, I see that they are expecting to, and I quote, eventually field a GTD programme. That doesn't sound like it's going to be 2022, Shea. No, and to be honest, I would be stunned to see Wayne Taylor Racing shifting their focus away from the DPI in its final year. This Mm. is a tribute season. John Doonan talked about it with me uh, during the Motul Petit Le Mans this year. This is going to be the year of honoring the DPI and what it's given us. No team has benefited more from the DPI than Wayne Taylor Racing. I count 12 wins across their program. Uh, since 2017, I could be wrong. I just did a little bit of quick math there, and you know how I am with math, but um, or arithmetic, sorry, as you like to, to say. But it has been the place where they have found so much success. Mm. For them to shift their attention away during the last season, to start dating the new girl while the divorce <laughs> is still not yet finalized, I don't see Wayne doing that. That's a brilliant, brilliant piece of, of description. Uh, and they are, they've also said, by the way, that they will probably be running four or five Super Trofeo cars. Um, they run the prestige cars, of course, in Lamborghini. Super Trofeo couldn't go away from IMSA without noting one of our great friends, Mike Murphy Jr., um, leaving IMSA to pastures new. That was his last race at the weekend, most latterly involved in IMSA competition. We're going to make Mur- miss Murph, aren't we? Oh, massively. And Murph, I'm so excited for him because of the new job opportunity, because of what lies ahead of him. He's a New York native. This is going back home. He's going to be close to the family again. He's, he's going, going to, to be New able Jersey to bring us those well, bagels. Yeah. Pardon, John? He's going to run a, a, help run a racetrack up, up that neck of the woods, yeah? He, he's going to manage New Jersey Motorsport New Jersey, Park. The yeah. press announcement came out on uh, the day before, or the day of the final Michelin Pilot Challenge race. Um, but it's a big opportunity for him, and it's one that he couldn't say no to. So we will miss him desperately on the IMSA side of things. But as a friend, I couldn't be happier for Mike. All right, Cher, thanks for jumping off the plane into the car and getting back to base. <laughs> I know you enjoyed the weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, a few more announcements still to come, I think. 
Sounds great, John. Take care. Coming up, it's HRN looking at the effects of the COVID pandemic on Goodwood and their events. We'll be back next week, Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel. But don't forget, we've got Sebring, 24 hours for Creventing. Nick Damon and Andrew Marriott will be on site. Johnny Palmer heads up the team for our live sound and vision coverage on RS1 and across the R Radio Show Limited network channels, as I say, in sound and vision. Thanks to Tim Gray, our executive producer, to people, to Earl and to Ben, our guests, and to Nick Damon, who joined in as well. There's no time to explain because the Llama is going to get shock absorbers fitted for Sebring this weekend. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.